You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I never rule out anything because I never thought I was going to write a screenplay. I never thought that I was going to direct. I never thought I was going to write sketch comedy. So I never thought I would do any of those things. So to say where is it going to go in the future and what that's going to be, I don't know. Director Barry Levinson. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Barry Levinson is an Oscar-winning director and a screenwriter, but it also turns out he's a pretty good novelist. The man responsible for films such as Diner, Rain Man, and Good Morning Vietnam, among many others, in 2003 wrote a novel called 66. And like his Baltimore-based movies, Levinson's book is about young men struggling to find themselves and the time they're in and the social changes taking place around them. Now, in 2003, when he published that book, Levinson went on an extensive book tour, and that's when I had the chance to meet him. So here now, from 2003, Barry Levinson. I'm amazed this is your first novel. Yes. Uh, is, it, is it a lifelong ambition to have written a novel? No, I never thought of writing a novel. It's not an ambition of mine to write a novel. It just somehow um, happened, came out that way. Am I the first to mention that the first thing that I thought of as I started getting into this book is Diner? I mean, is, is it an extension of that concept? Well, it's using the idea that, uh, I mean, I've done it in, in the other films, that, you know, the, in this place, these various... Uh, groups, generations pass through. So you're using that as, um, in a sense, as the center, and through it, all of the stories are very different. Others, the, the guys of Diner uh, would differ, you know, greatly from the 66 guys because what that crowd faced was really they became uh, teenagers in the, in the advent of rock and roll. So that they were the generation, and all of a sudden in 66, they're faced with the next generation. They're now 23 years old, and there's a new generation. And all of a sudden, are you, are you, how old are you when you were not the generation anymore? And then all the problems that are happening uh, in the world around at the same time. But I try to deal with it on a kind of personal level and a, and a humorous comedy drama. And the, you feel the tectonic plates of the world shifting mm-hmm. underneath your yeah. feet. You're not quite sure... If you should be jumping over there or, or standing where you are and yeah. trying to weather the storm? Where or? do you go at that point in time? Mm-hmm. So I use the diner. I'm Look, I'm sure that there are going to be those you know, critics that will criticize and say, well, you know, it's diner again. But, um, and not to compare myself, but I'd be like Tennessee Williams saying, oh, he's doing the South again. <laughs> <laughs> well, where does the plot take us in 66? Well, it deals with these various characters and their, uh, their relationships, where they're going and the, the dilemmas that they face, you know. One of the characters, Ben, is uh, he was once thought of as like the king of the teenagers who at the age of 23 when he's suddenly getting heavier and starting to bald. He's beginning to think his life is over and his glory days are behind him in a way. Uh, and and the, the problems that he runs into uh, in trying to adjust to the changes of time. Now, how did you choose to make Bobby the narrator? Well, I mean, I used me. I mean, because a lot of that is uh, my experiences in local television. It was actually in Washington, D.C., not in Baltimore, but I used a lot of those things because I went through that at that point in time. So, you know, I used me to guide us along. It's the first time, actually, I deal with all the writing I've done with my generation specifically. I was wondering, I I was... I'm always hesitant to ask authors how closely autobiographical it is because some take great umbrage at the idea that they could be similar to their character, but, I mean, how close are you to Bobby? 
Well, I mean, a number of the things in it I think are very true, the feelings that I had and uh, et cetera. You know, uh, other, there are other incidents that are not, you know, 100%, you know, on the money in terms of what took place. But uh, there's a lot of me in there. I have to tell you, such is the power of your characters that not 30 minutes ago, the oldie station played uh, Shout. And I'm not giving away anything, but there's a scene late in the book. And all I could think of as I'm hearing that song is I'm seeing a car spinning out of control on a dark, rainy road with, you know, consequences that, that happen. But I'm thinking, I mean, I could picture all these guys as I'm listening to the song. I'm thinking... I'm starting to bounce along with it. Such is the power of the characters that you've drawn in this book. Well, that's great. I'm glad you enjoy that. That is, that is the key, though, to making a character work in, in fiction or, in, or, or in, I should say, in a book or in a movie or in a television show is adding a dimension such that they, they're no longer just a character that you've created. Now suddenly they're real to us and they become like, like part of our family. Well, that's what you try to do. I mean, it becomes more difficult in film because in the film world, characters become more of kind of, you know, cartoon characters and, and most of the films are becoming more like just adrenaline rush. So there's less character work taking place in films. So actually it was nice to, to go down this road and, uh, you know, you fashion these characters and you know, hopefully, you know, you go through what they're about and, and connect to it, whether you were personally there at that time or you're reading about characters that just interest you. Did you know where the story was going when you started writing? I think I got a quick flash of the whole thing. I mean, it came to me rather quickly, you know, uh, uh, as what happens is I don't know where all of it, how it's all going to evolve, but I do see like sort of like a tunnel and it goes down the road and I get a, a pretty overall picture of the piece. Do you feel like you have to know a, at least approximately how the story is going to end before you start writing or can you allow yourself to be surprised? Well, I generally don't start with a, th- with a part and don't know where anything is going to go. What happens is it all comes together in one moment. It's not like I'm searching for anything. In other words, I cannot write in search of. I just somehow I am comfortable enough to just write and then it's all there. Now, this is kind of a compact time frame we're talking about for the story, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's a little less than a year mm-hmm. because it starts in 66 and goes into um, into 67. But it's, in, it's less than a year, and to me, I use that as a demarcation point that I think that the 50s really ended in 66. I mean, that's my take on it, that guys of the 50s, that rock and roll generation, is now dealing with the advent of the 60s as it really comes full force. And they, they know a little bit about pot, but LSD is a little bit on the, on the, on the edge of the, the periphery of their awareness. Yeah, yeah. trying to sort that out. <laughs> and it, this isn't the world they grew up in, as you said a moment ago. This is that we're on the cusp of something entirely new. Yeah, and I try to deal with the issues that were out there without mm-hmm. being sort of straight ahead with it. So, I mean, I have someone who was drafted who's actually gone off and comes back wearing a uniform when he had gone to basic training, he hadn't gone to Vietnam. And so he's viewed by the hippies as being this straight-laced military guy when he's anything but. So how we perceive and how inaccurate we can be about that and his ambivalence about all of it, which he never expresses his feelings about, you know, the war uh, period. And then to take all of the various characters and say, how can I deal with this without dealing with it in a straight-ahead fashion. So I let all those elements kind of permeate the piece and hopefully uh, find a way that kind of surprises us throughout. Well, well, these characters aren't too old for us to call this a coming-of-age story, are they? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I never know when when the coming-of-age is uh, ends or whatever. <laughs> I mean, if you're 23 years old, is that still coming-of-age or you're now dealing with um, 
those other issues because you're dealing with the idea of not just simply marriage, but what it represents and where do you fit? Are you going to be part of this new generation? Do you, do you align with that? Or are you going to be sort of feel as if you've now been thrown back into your you know, father's generation mm-hmm. uh, for these guys? So, you know, there are those choices to be made. And in the case of Bobby, I think because of the, all of the change that's taking place, it, in a sense, it frees him to uh, make new choices. And the choices that they all have to make will shape. I mean, this, it, it's, it's basic. They told me in writing 101 that your characters have to be different at the end of the book than they were at the beginning of the book. You know, it seems like such a straightforward concept. But it's amazing how many novelists can't seem to accomplish that. But, and I don't want to give away what the ending of the book is. But, yeah, there are, there are, there are definitely some changes happening here with these, char- with these characters. Well, I mean, that was, a, that was a period of upheaval, and they're all affected by it one way or another. Um, but would they have been affected by any other year, or did it have to well, be not this necessarily? Year? I mean, that's why I think it's interesting to, to say, okay, let's take the rock and roll generation, turn to turn to teenager as rock and roll hit full force, and that would define them. And all of a sudden, in '66, there is a new generation clearly defined again, and now you run smack dab into that. That doesn't always happen every ten years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, periodically you run into something which frightens you, you know, uh, scares you in a lot of ways. And, whether, and you have to make certain decisions about a, a, a radical change that's taking place uh, in America. After the short break, Barry Levinson explains the real difference between making a movie and writing a book. Now back to my 2003 interview with Barry Levinson. Now I want to ask you one of those compare and contrast questions we used to get on the essay questions in, in school. Compare and contrast. Directing a movie is, is, is a very collaborative effort. You have lots of people you have to work with. Mm-hmm. Writing a book tends to be, I'm told, I've never having written one myself, an extremely solitary event. How different do they feel creatively to you? Well, they're very different. I mean, one, you're writing, you're writing a novel, and you're gonna, you sit down and you write, and your imagination takes you, and then that's the end of the end of the story. With a with a film, you've still got all of those things in your head, but now you've got to explain to everybody what it is we're going to be doing. So you got to bring everybody up to where you are, you know, as you embark on it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, everybody's got to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I write this and some, you know, reader doesn't connect to it, then I would be like me as a director, not explaining to the production designer what it's supposed to look like. You know, they got a completely different opinion of it, mm-hmm. and that's that's the task of film is for everybody to understand what it is you're doing. You know, and then of course you make it, and then a lot of times you'll get critics, and they never understand what you're doing. <laughs> uh, that's a separate issue. <laughs> yes. That's a whole other novel, I think. <laughs> but. I'm guessing that though, though that there's no compromises involved with a book. I mean, it's your book. Whatever way you decide you want it, that's it. But yeah. with a film, I mean, you've got, I don't know, 50, 100 different ideas about what the particular set is supposed to look like, how that character is supposed to act in that particular scene, how this is supposed to be lit, from which angle. I mean, the kinds of decisions you make by the thousands, they're all yours in this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you, it, it's hard to make a comparison between you know writing a novel and, and directing a film because there are it, it's just a completely different thing. Is it two different kinds of rewards as well? When you when you direct a major motion picture that wins Oscars, there's accolades. People are standing on their feet applauding for you as you're the trucks getting you know, thanking everybody in God. If you write a, a, even a major bestseller, 
okay, maybe you'll get a little ribbon from the National Book Association yeah. or something like that. There's no big accolade. No, 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 there isn't. I, you just, I, it was a, you, I, I might think it was just sort of an act of madness. <laughs> <laughs> no, there isn't. You know, the, you know what the reason to do it is? Because somehow you feel compelled enough to want to do it. And that's the end of it all. You know, um, it's like it's like making a movie, and sometimes you know, it it does do well or it doesn't do well. But the reason to make it is you were compelled to make it. So, in the in the case of a novel, you say, look, there's not there's no great rewards to it, other than just the personal satisfaction of writing a book, and uh, and feeling that accomplishment. And then you hope that other people pick it up and, and read it and enjoy it. But it really starts with uh, as egotistical as that is that somehow <laughs> it is the joy of the process. People may also assume that you write a novel like this with a screenplay and a motion picture in mind for it eventually. Was that the case for 66? No, no I, I just thought I'll do it and then that'll be that. As I said, it's more difficult to make sort of personal pieces and about you know human beings and their emotions and all of those things and the humor and whatever that's sort of natural to it as opposed to a lot of what we're seeing in film today. And to do a period film is going to cost more. So they become more and more restrictive in a sense to make. So you say, okay, look, you write doing the novel is that. If it turns into a film at some point, fine. But anyway, it's out of my system and I'm able to, to have accomplished that. Well, if you just added a couple of more car chases, a couple of explosions, and perhaps some international intrigue going on, this would make a great film. <laughs> right. We have one scene going backwards, driving a car backwards. That's about as much action as you're going to get. <laughs> but now that doesn't mean this is your last novel, does it? I don't know that I – I mean, if someone say, would you ever write a novel? I would say uh, probably not. So the fact that I've written one and would I ever do it again, I'd say probably the odds would be very slim that I ever would. But I never rule out anything because I never thought I was going to write a screenplay. I never thought that I was going to direct. You know, I never thought I was going to write sketch comedy. So <laughs> I never thought I would do any of those things. So to say where is it going to go in the future and what that's going to be, I don't know. It's whatever the challenge is. And in the bottom of it all – and as, as, as silly as it sounds, you somehow you feel like, I want to do that. And you just try to do it. You know, and it scares the hell out of you at times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a great effort this is. I'm, I'm told it's selling very briskly already. I would hope. I would hope. I mean, but, you know, you don't know. You never know. Yeah, there's no Oscar night for books. So it's, uh, <laughs> but congratulations in advance, by the way. Sorry. Well, thank you very much. And, 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 I, and I should also pass along, I, I have a feeling that, there are, that the entire city of Baltimore and its environs owes you this great debt, you know, for putting them on the map. I mean, not, not just a, you know, an East East Coast working class kind of city, but now it's it's like the place. I mean, you know, all the, the, the I mean, people come to Baltimore and they say, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, I, Liberty Heights. I know that. It's just you've really <laughs> you really put the city on the map. Well, that's just uh, you know, it, it is odd in a way, but I mean, it's been interesting, you know. But again, you know, you, that's where you grow up. Those are mm-hmm. informative years, and you kind of you know work and try to express those feelings through that, rather than kind of turning it into some other thing mm-hmm. uh, other than just what it is. And the great joy of it all is if you can do something that's fairly personal, say let's use Avalon as an example, uh, you know, very personal, and then you'll meet someone from, you know, Norway and says, you know, it's exactly like my family. And you go, how's that possible? But that connection happens for unexplained reasons, and that's kind of the, the, the kick of it all for me. Barry Levinson will be 80 years old next month. His most recent project 
He was the co-executive producer and director of the first couple of episodes of the Hulu miniseries Dopesick last year. And you can find easy Amazon links to Barry Levinson's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And that's where you'll find my interviews with two other major figures in Hollywood. My 1994 interview with director Robert Evans. I, I made people cry. I made people laugh. I made people fall in love. I have evoked emotions that no one else could do. I'm an image maker and an emotion maker. And maybe I'm a little crazy, you know. Because to accomplish what I do, you can't do it normally. And my 1991 conversation with producer David Brown. I don't look back. As I grew older, I looked. I look back for the purpose of writing a memoir. That was wonderful fun. And I've been caught in some interviews being rather hazy about who was in some of my movies. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the founding member, and in fact today, the only surviving original member of The Temptations, my 1988 interview with Otis Williams. When we are performing, uh, we find that we see a lot of you know kids that weren't even born when My Girl and a lot of our early hits were out. And uh, we said, now wait a minute, you're too young to know anything about a My Girl. How, how do you know about this? They would say, my mom or my dad. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 